So if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, let's journey to Matthew chapter 4, and let's take a look at uh, one of those things, one of those, one of those things that happen, and maybe we don't always understand why that is, but you remember, last week we talked about Jesus coming to John the Baptist and, and being baptized. We closed off with him being baptized, the heavens opening up. And God's saying, speaking from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a high point. It's a good thing. Everybody around the area knows, man, something great is happening. Something wonderful is going on. And, and then chapter 4 happens. Many of you have had a chapter 4 in your life. Things are going along just great. Everything seems to be fine. And then... Chapter 4, out of nowhere. God learned something about us. Well, I don't know that God learns, but God taught us something about ourselves when we discover that it's in the furnace of affliction that we tend to grow the most. When we find ourselves in a period of time when we're in the wilderness, we look around and we wonder, how did I get here? Well, chapter 4 tells us very clearly how we got there. This is what chapter 4 begins with. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So how did Jesus come to his wilderness? He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit brought him to that place. I shared, uh, gosh, I don't know, for the last couple of weeks, been sharing about the reality, the truth that Everything that enters into our life passes through the hands of a God who loves us. Everything that enters into our life, it doesn't come into our life with the intention of bringing destruction, not from the hands of God. It comes bringing instruction. It comes bringing an opportunity for us to grow and an opportunity for us to learn. And I've shared before that I refuse to get angry and upset about all these other things that could be going on or might be going on or whatever and just recognize the truth that God's working in those circumstances in my life. That God is doing something through those things. So last Sunday night, when I went home at 11 o'clock, I thought, it's been a pretty good night. I I put in a a good day. I'm going to go home. At 4 in the morning, Rusty called me. For those of you who don't know Rusty, stand up, Rusty. <laughs> That's Rusty. Just in case you're wondering, if he calls you at four in the morning, it's never good. So, I was not prepared to enter into my chapter four. So I went back to bed. And Rusty, like a good friend, called Fritz and made him come down to the church at four in the morning. Oh, it's such a good life. <laughs> well, about 8 in the morning I called to see, you know, what Rusty called me at 4 in the morning for. And he said, hey, you know, somebody broke into the church last night. They did what? Do people do that? Apparently they do. They cut through the frame in my office and got into my office. But he said, you know, Jackie, we've been looking around and I don't really think they stole anything. The alarm went off and they must have run away. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then he said, by the way, is your laptop at home? Oh, you're killing me, brother. (laughs) So if any of you guys see a great deal on a laptop somewhere out there, 
Go ahead and pick it up for me, and, uh, and I'll have a laptop back. But when, when all that happens, the, it's like the Lord whispering in my ear. Remember what you said? Yeah, I'm not going to be mad. And I'm not going to get all upset. Because everything that enters into our life, that's a small thing, folks. A lot of people dealing with big stuff. That's little. That's just stuff. Stuff can be replaced. Or maybe you shouldn't have had stuff in the first place. I don't know. But the stuff is going to come and go in life, right? We want to recognize when we, when we realize that that is how God works in our life. In fact, when we look at the Greek, the word for tempting and the word for testing is the same word. And a lot of people struggle over that, you know. The truth is, what the Lord does is He brings testing in our life to show us, prove to us what we're capable of, what we can accomplish through Him. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do anything, right? But through Christ, we can do all things. So He brings that testing into our life. What the devil does is He tempts. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He intends to wipe us out. But all the while, God says, even if it feels like nobody's holding you up, I am here. Even if it feels like the bottom's falling out and nothing makes sense, God says, I'm here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But the Lord is faithful to give you what? A way of escape that you might be able to bear it. See, God allows those things just as he did for his son entering into the wilderness, the barren desert. He allows those things in our life so that we can realize, recognize truly what? are we capable of in a life that is utterly, totally surrendered to the Lord? And what better time to be surrendered to the Lord than in the midst of the wilderness when everything is going south? And you have one place left to reach. Many times, that's where the greatest learning takes place. And Jesus, coming as the Son of Man and as the Son of God, fully God, fully man, enters into the wilderness, barren desert, Just to show us how to do it. Show us the way. Because as we look at Jesus and his temptation here in the wilderness, here's what you're going to see. Jesus could have used his deity as God of very God to say to Satan, be gone, and poof, he was be gone. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. The book of Hebrews said he faces temptation just as you and I will, just as you and I need to. And as we face that temptation, then he says to us, here is the key. Here is the key to overcoming that temptation. Being surrendered to the Holy Spirit and, uh, and using the only weapon God ever gave us. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So the scripture goes, it begins, Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. I don't know about you guys, but by the time I get done, I'm hungry. 
40 days and 40 nights is the greatest understatement in the scriptures, right? What he's declaring to us is his body was beginning to die. And as we look at this, why don't you compare this with Adam? You guys remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? He's, uh, he faced his temptation, right? Things didn't work out so good for Adam. And we have the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And take a look at, at the way that they went into to this battle of temptation. We, we know that the first Adam, he was in a garden, right? But the last Adam, he's in the wilderness, the desert, sand, nothing else. Barren desert. The first Adam was allowed freely to eat of everything in the garden except for one thing. The second Adam, the last Adam, he hadn't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. The first Adam we see was strong physically. The last Adam, his body was beginning to die as he faced this time. The first Adam, he fell. The last Adam, he set us free. Jesus, as he faced that time of fasting, fasting was all about one thing. Taking your focus off of the desires of your flesh and putting your focus on the Lord. Taking the focus off the desires of your flesh. And the easiest way to do that is with food because our stomach grumbles, right? In about 30 minutes, mine will be doing somersaults. Where's that cheeseburger at? The point is, fasting turns us away, turns our eyes away from that fleshly desire, I want this, I want this, I want this. But it only works if we turn our focus then to the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn our focus to spiritual things. We focus on what it is that God is trying to do. Listen, in 1 John chapter 2, John would write to us and say, Listen, this is, this is where people fall. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world... Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Keep in mind, 1 John has written to us that we might know that we're saved. And so all throughout 1 John, he gives us all these little clues. Here he says, you can't be in love with the world. You can't be in love with the things of the world. That can't be your primary passion in life. And the Lord be your primary passion, right? There's Primary means... First, one, the only, Jesus Christ. So he says, you don't, do not love the world. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. Scripture declares to us, when we read the fall of man, we see, even as Eve was facing the, the serpent, what occurred? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's how we fall. She saw that it was a good looking fruit. Desirable. And something to make one wise. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the, the flesh. And the pride of life. That's what leads us in that temptation to the fall. To come to a place where we struggle and fall. And as we look back again. At Matthew chapter 4, the scripture says, Now when the tempter came, 
He said, it didn't say, now if the tempter comes, it's when. Tempter comes. For every one of us. Multiple times during the day. Except for you and I, it's not usually the devil. The devil's got bigger fish to fry than you and me. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. So he's off doing his thing. But for the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil made sure that his calendar was clear. And he was the one who appeared. For you and I, more often than not, it's what's within us. That sin nature that's within us that leads us. And once we decide to taste, once we decide to dabble, it leads us to sin. And sin ultimately leads us to death. That destruction. So we want to recognize that for Jesus, here it is, the devil, he's come. He's come to tempt, he's come to try. And he begins, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The first temptation of Christ. If you are the Son of God. Short lesson in the Greek. There are four class conditions to the word if. So every time we read the word if, we want to know which class condition that is so we can understand what he's saying. Some first class condition means just like it means in in English. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. If. Second class is like since. Since you are. A third class is where you wish it were true, but it's not. And the fourth class is you wish it wasn't true, but it is. In this case, it's the word, in English, it would be better for since. Satan's not doubting that he is the Son of God. He's saying, since you are the Son of God, since you are, then you can say to these stones, be bread. Why should you suffer? Again, Satan in the first temptation is saying to Jesus Christ, does God really love you? If God really loved you, you'd have bread. You wouldn't be out here hungry. But since you are the Son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. It's the same way he he spoke with Eve. The same way with Adam when he went and he said, Hath God really said that you should eat of any tree? If God really loved you, he'd let you eat of whatever tree you want. Has anybody ever doubted the truth that God loves you? We look at the circumstances of our life, the struggles we face, the difficulties that are laid out before us, and we wonder, is this the love of God? Is this the love of God? We forget God's primary goal in our life. It's not that we have a nice house, nice car, pretty clothes. God's primary goal in our life is that we arrive home safe. Whatever it takes to bring us into that right relationship with God and to enjoy an eternity with Him than God's going to allow. We, we've talked about it many times. That illustration I talked about that, that Francis Chan shares. That our life is like a ball of twine unraveled. And on one end, there's a little red dot. The whole string represents eternity. The little red dot is our life here. Now what we do in that little red dot is going to echo in eternity, right? It's going, to, it's going to do something. It's going to decide where our eternity is spent, for one thing. 
But that little red dot, to live for that little red dot and not live for the whole string, is foolishness. To live for that little, for that 70 years, that that's my goal, that I can have everything I can possibly have here, instead of, man, I want to live for eternity. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Don't worry about here. But Satan, that's the way he is. He wants to get our eyes focused on here. He wants to get our eyes focused on what we don't have, what we don't have around us. And that's how he'll bring that temptation to us. But Jesus, folks, tells us how to do battle with it. Because Jesus answers him in the word. Listen, he answered and said, it is written. Satan said, Jesus, declare today as your Independence Day and do what you want to do instead of what the Father is telling you to do. But Jesus said, it is written. Folks, he understood the word. And I want you to realize this. All three quotes that he makes in these temptations that come, come out of the book of Deuteronomy. All three. All three quotations come out of the law, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. It's a sad reality in our world today that many people are ignorant of a lot of the things the Bible says in the Old Testament. Folks, everything that the Bible tells us in the New Testament was pictured for us in the Old. There are illustrations, illustrations abound of the spiritual realities that God lays out for us in the New Testament. And Jesus, that's what he uses. That's where he goes. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, in that one phrase, he says that the word of God is more important than your food. Word of God is more important. Most of us don't think anything about feeding ourselves when we're hungry, but we forget sometimes that our spirit is starving. And we need to be spending time in the Word of God. We need to be committed to the Word of God, to allow that Word of God to do that work within our life. We want to be committed to bring it in because, folks, the Scripture tells us, don't worry what you will answer in those certain times that occur in your life. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance. But what's he going to give you utterance of? He's going to give you utterance of the things you've read. Of that which you've studied. Of that which you know. He's not going to impart that knowledge supernaturally through osmosis into your head. And you'll never have to open the Word. He's not going to do that. So we need to open the Word to know the Word and realize from Deuteronomy here he says, man will live By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil, quickly he moves to the second play. He's got three plays in his playbook, right? So he starts with the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh doesn't take him anywhere. So then he's going to move on to the pride of life. In verse 5 it says, The devil took him into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. So the devil says, here, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, 500 feet above the Kidron Valley. 
And they stand there at the pinnacle of the temple. Now this is something that would occur every now and again. Every now and again, a Messiah would go to the pinnacle of the temple and he would tell the people, I'm going to prove to you that I'm the Messiah. And he would jump off. And he would splat. And everybody would say, guess he wasn't the Messiah. You guys ever heard of anybody making crazy predictions about stuff like that? <laughs> crazy ideals. But you know what? When we're grounded in the Word of God, nobody gets caught up in that. If somebody comes to you and says, you know what? Jesus is going to come back October 21st. Because I was a little off in my calculations. Actually, it was an invisible coming. Have you guys heard about this guy? Wouldn't it be nice to make predictions like that? I would be an incredible prophet if I prophesied. And then when everybody said, well, what happened, Jackie? Oh, what you don't realize is it was invisible and only I could see it. That reminds me of the emperor's new clothes. Man, those are some nice duds. Only the wise can see it, though. Oh, in that case, these are some pretty nice clothes. Think I'll go walking around town and look like a moron. Ridiculous, ridiculous. But what do we see happening here? The devil changes his tactics. He says, oh, okay, Lord, you want to use the scripture? I know the scripture, too. And what's he do? He pulls a verse out of Psalm 91 and he says, listen, here's what the Bible says. Go ahead and jump, Jesus, because he will give his angels charge over you. So the angels are watching out for you. They won't even let your, you, your, in their hands, they'll bear you up lest your foot would bump a stone. Man, they'll take care of you. Jump and let them catch and all these people will see you. Wow, it's going to be an incredible thing. You know, we'll work up this big deal and they'll see you float down to the ground. You know what he's not quoting? Sometimes that's the important part. What he's not quoting from Psalm 91 is this. He will give his angels charge over you. He will give his angels charge over you as you walk in God's ways he'll give his angels charge for those areas in which you are following as you follow the lord god's going to take care of you as you follow the lord you don't have to worry about all these other things the lord's going to take care of you but do you know that there are people out there who will take the bible and make it say whatever they want what do they do they break every law of interpretation they pull a verse out of context many people study the bible like this close their eyes Flip through a page, look down, and say, here's God's word for me today. And they'll read a verse. And they don't have the context, they don't have any understanding of what that verse is really all about. And they make this horrible mistake. They say, what does this mean to me? What do you mean, what does it mean to you? The Bible means what it means. It actually says what it means. And if we'll take the time to read it in context... We'll understand that. But what happens? The devil says here, let me quote. Anybody ever have somebody show up at your door with all kinds of quotes? Man, let me tell you, I could do they just they just have all these, you know. There's no possible way for there to be a trinity. The Bible says, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. It's obvious. There can only be one, not three. They really go crazy when I say, You're right. 
There is one God expressed in three persons. And then they go, what? Well, you see, it's interesting. You quoted that scripture because that scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. It uses the word echad. Echad. One of the principles of hermeneutics is that the first time a word is used in the scripture, the meaning is based off of that usage. Well, where's the first time the word echad is used in scripture? It's used in the book of Genesis. It's used in the book of Genesis, which is early. That's the first book. It's used like this. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, unified. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But they can pull Scripture out of context. They can take it out and say, well, this is what it says. But again, if we don't understand the Word of God, if we're illiterate to the things of the Word of God, then we're going to struggle, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. We have to know. We have to spend time in his word. Again, he quotes from Deuteronomy and Jesus says, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's always wrong whenever we get the idea that we want God to show us something spectacular to prove his love for us. Well, if you love me, God then you're going to heal me. Or, Lord, if you love me, you're going to work out this problem in my life. Or, Lord, if you love me. But, folks, the love of God was shown to us in the fact that he gave the greatest gift, the greatest thing he could give. He gave his son. He gave his son to die to be the propitiation for our sins. He's already shown us his love, the incredible amount of love that God has for us is shown at the cross. It's already there. So we don't need to ask for something spectacular. He's already given that which was spectacular. What we need to do is be anchored to the Word. And don't put the Lord your God to the foolish test. If God loves me, I could bungee jump without the bungee. And I'll just boing, right? That's a dumb test. And so the Lord, again, quotes from the scripture. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so the devil switches again. Okay, the pride of life didn't work. The lust of the flesh, I'll try the lust of the eyes. So he moves to play number three. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He skipped something, right? All the kingdoms of their world and their glory. But not their sin, not their filth, not their garbage, just the good stuff, just the good stuff. He showed them all their glory and he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now he's going to offer them a shortcut around the cross. The, the, The lust of the eyes. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Let me tell you what we can do. All you have to do is bow down once. That's what it means in the Greek. Bow down and worship me once. Just one quick little time. Just one quick little show of of worship. And in that moment, 
I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it all to you. One quick moment. But Jesus is going to answer him according to the scriptures out of the book of Deuteronomy again. He says, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God. In this phrase, Jesus tells us that there is no glory apart from the cross. No shortcut. There's no end around. Folks, there's no end around to the suffering in our life. Jesus said to you and I, words in red, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome. In this world, there's going to be things we suffer. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be sicknesses. There's going to be times of sadness. There's going to be times of emergency. There's going to be times of of wondering. And in that moment... The enemy, just as he came to Jesus when he was weak and ready to die, is going to whisper into your ear, Doth God really love you? Does he really care about you? I mean, if he loved you, would would this be happening to you? If he loved you, would, would your life look like this? Would you have to be going through these experiences if God really loved you? But you see, all the while, God is shouting in his actions, I love you so much. I've given you my only begotten son that you might have eternal life, the whole string, not just the little dot. Remember we started with, if you love this world and the things of this world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you're living for that dot, You're missing the train. You're missing what God wants to show you because everything is wrapped up in what I can get here instead of living with everything I have for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow Him, right? To follow Him doesn't just mean, oh, you know, I believe Jesus exists. Well, great. That's good. Most of the encyclopedias do too. It is a whole other thing to do what Jesus said, right? To deny yourself. That's my wants and desires. Take up my cross daily and follow Him. Live my life for Him. Through Him. Jesus showed us a way. What did He use? The Word of God. He understood the word of God. I'm happy to tell you, seven years we will have gone through from Genesis to Revelation. We do the Old Testament on Wednesday night, the the Old Testament prophets on Sunday night, and we go through the New Testament on Sunday morning. In seven years, it will all be covered. Every single word, every jot, every tittle, every piece. So that when some knucklehead stands up and says... Jesus is coming back tomorrow. You can say, it is written that no man knows the day 
or the hour. Because it is written. The word of God. The only weapon that Jesus used. And then look what occurs. It says, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. So right at that moment, the devil leaves. And then the angels come and minister to Jesus. Gave him something to eat. Came alongside and encouraged him. Encouraged him about what was yet to face him. I mean, can you imagine, often we make the excuse for Jesus that, oh, he was God. Can you imagine what it is like to be almighty God and to place yourself in a humble act into submission to mankind, to allow man to judge you, to know that in your future, not only is there a scourging and a cross, but more than all of that, there's going to be a moment when that part of the Godhead, the Father, says to the Son, I can't look at you anymore. And he turns away. God who had never known that, that moment when Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, we forget that he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just He became the curse, folks. He became that curse. Cursed is every man who hangs on the tree. He became the curse and died. New separation from the Father for for that moment in time. And then, and then, rose again for our justification. He rose again to tell us, to tell you and I, hey, listen, in this rising again, what, what am I saying? I'm saying I have just made you by faith just as if you'd never sin. By faith. If you put your faith and trust in Him and not in the world or the things of the world. Because Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. That's a Hebrew idiom for you choose... And you reject. If you choose the world, you reject the Lord. If you choose the Lord, you reject the world. So this is the concept that Jesus has. Now, in verse 11, as we come to the close of verse 11, did you feel it? Just like that, time flew. A year just passed. Anybody see it? I wonder what happened to the last one. They go by pretty quick. You blink and they're gone. Between verse 11 and verse 12, the first four chapters of John occur. Matthew is not written to us in a chronology. It's it's written to us topologically. Uh, He's written to us on on a variety of topics and things that Jesus did. But the first four chapters of John would fit right here between 11 and 12. You know, that the first call that John gave to, to Peter and Andrew and to the other disciples, and then the, the first clean cleansing of the temple, and then also you'll, you'll remember the, the talk with Nicodemus, and then also the, the walk through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. All of those things occurred. And then we come to chapter 12, and it says, 
Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. So Jesus had still been in Nazareth until this time. And Jesus, we know, begins his earthly ministry as he he stands up and he says in the synagogue at Nazareth, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he reads to them Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he tells them, today, these words of the Messiah are fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah. And they rejected him. In fact, they tried to stone him and throw him off a cliff. And Jesus said that a, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. They, they wouldn't realize, they wouldn't recognize. And so he leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. He's already spent a short period of time with the disciples. They've already spent some time in ministry prior. And now he heads back down to Capernaum where those guys are again fishing. Which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those and upon those who sat in this region, the shadow of death, light has dawned. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, two tribes that inherited this area, by the way of the sea. That's the Via Maris. That was the trade route along the sea. That's what it was called, the way of the sea. So Jesus will be down by the way of the sea, the Via Maris, which runs right through Capernaum. Now, if you're the Messiah, maybe you would make your home base Jerusalem. That's where the temple is, right? But Jesus went to Capernaum. That's where every road from Egypt to Mesopotamia would cross. And he would have the opportunity to be a light unto the Gentiles, even as Isaiah prophesied here. So... Jesus moves. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your direction. When did this all start? This part of Matthew started at the arrest of John the Baptist. Jesus, after the arrest of John the Baptist, then he begins to move forward. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's doing incredible things. It's time to change your direction. Stop living for the dot on the string. And start living for eternity. Stop living for the temporal and start living for the eternal. Recognize, realize all that the Lord has to give us. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. So he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is the second calling. Second time Jesus called them. He comes by, he sees them over there again. What are they doing? Casting out their nets. Jesus said, "Come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men." What were they doing? Casting their nets. So what does Jesus call Peter and Andrew into? Evangelism. Read the gospels, read the book of Acts. What do we see those guys doing? Constantly bringing people to Jesus. Constantly bringing people to the Lord. Constantly reaching out to them. Constantly doing this 
Incredible work. Guys, he's bringing people to the Lord. And immediately they left and followed him. These disciples do what all disciples should do. Follow Jesus. John would write, If you say that you abide in Christ, you ought also to walk as he walked. We live our life for Jesus Christ. Not for the dot. For eternity. For all that he is giving us. Well, the scripture goes on. He says, From there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat, their father, and they followed him. Many times following Jesus means leaving something behind. The woman at the well, she left her pitcher behind. Over and over again in Scripture, we see those who leave behind that thing that was so important to them in the world to lay hold of or to apprehend what is more important, a life with Jesus Christ. They lay it back and they grab on to Jesus with both hands. They left. Well, what were they doing? They were mending their nets. So what is it that Jesus calls them to? Folks, He called John to a ministry of mending broken hearts. Everywhere he went, he became known as the apostle of love. The apostle of love, expressing and learning to walk in the love of God, putting back together those broken hearts or mending broken lives. What were they doing? Mending the nets. They were busy, but Jesus said to them, follow me. And they got up and they left. And it says, specifically, they left their father. Zebedee was a well-known name. They were a very rich family. They were a well-known group of fishermen. In fact, they were the only fishermen who could get fish to the temple. And as a result, they had a special booth there that the high priest went into this booth with them on to sell fish in the marketplace in Jerusalem. Later on, you're going to see John be able to get Peter into the place where Jesus was arrested because John knew the high priest. He knew the family. He came from the Zebedees. The well-known fisherman family. But they left it. They left it. For for James and John, guys, it was more important for them to, to lay hands on Jesus than everything else. Now... That was a specific call that Jesus gave unto them. A specific call that Jesus had for them. And I believe he has a specific call for each of us. But if we're so busy holding on to the world and the things of the world, we're going to quiet that voice of God. We're going to quiet what God's trying to do. And we're instead going to be wholly, utterly focused on, I got to do what I got to do. I got to build a bigger barn, right? And I got to do a better harvest and I'll bring all my stuff into that bigger barn. And when I bring all my stuff into that bigger barn, then I'll kick back. And Jesus said, thou fool, today your soul is required from you. The scripture lays out for us in Psalm 139 that he knows are rising up and are lying down. He knows the day will be born 
and the day we go home. And in between there is the opportunity that we have to make our life count. To make our life count because it's all about Jesus Christ. Well, the scripture goes on and says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He was teaching. That's explaining the meaning of a passage. Preaching, that's, that's exclaiming the truth. Explaining the truth. Exclaiming the truth. And then in his healing ministry, what was he doing? What was the whole point? He, he was healing people because he was showing the world that he has power over the fall of man. Sin brought death. Sin brought disease. Sin brought all those things that taint life here. So Jesus in his earthly ministry said, I have the power over the fall. And he healed. But what happened to every one of those guys he healed? They died again. Everyone he ever raised from the dead, what happened to them? They died again. At some point... We leave this earth. We walk away from that dot. And we enter into eternity. And the choices that we made in that time is what matters. Did you make a choice to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's his only requirement. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these. Love God, love people. But the righteousness that God requires, we cannot produce. So he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. We put our faith and trust in him, and we live for him, not for this world. We live this life for him, however long it is. We live it for him. And he becomes our prize. Not worldly riches or fame. He's our prize. He's our prize. We win eternity with Jesus Christ. And he wins eternity with us. And verse 24, his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him the sick who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed epileptics and paralytics and he healed them and great multitudes followed him from galilee and from decapolis jerusalem judea and beyond the jordan why did they follow him john tells us they followed him because of what he could give them and when he wasn't giving them what they wanted in john chapter 6 what happened they left They left. All that says is that as they followed him, they wouldn't let go of the world. They wouldn't let go of all that other stuff. The most important thing in their life was still, what can I have? The food that I could put in my stomach, the things, the rings I could put on my finger, the money I could put in my pocket. But Jesus came to say, listen, follow me. 
Deny all those things. Just follow me. Live your life with me. And as you follow me and as you walk in my ways, I'll be with you every single step. I'll give you everything that you need. Just trust me. Live your life in that dot for me. And I give you all of eternity. Let go of all those worldly desires and allow God to do His perfect work in you. Folks, today, Jesus is passing by Calvary Chapel Buell and He's just got one thing to say. Will you follow me? Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can come before you, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, it's our desire, Lord Jesus, that we would surrender. Surrender our grip on all these things that may be pulling us away. All these things that, that may take our, our attention away from you, Lord. And that we would make the practice of our life following you. Not living in sin. That we would make the practice of our life the things of God and your desire for us and not our desires for ourselves. That we lay aside the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and we do it by clinging to your word and recognizing that you truly are everything that we need for this life and the next. God, that you displayed your love for us 2,000 years ago. And it's enough. It's enough for me. You displayed your love for me. And all you ask of me is that I would love you. And I'm so weak. I can't seem to do it. I can't seem to always have that strength that I need. Well, the Lord Jesus says to you and I, when we are weak, He is strong. He said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will send to you a comforter, a helper, a helpmate to come to you, to give you the strength to pour out the love that you need by the Holy Spirit into your life. Everything we need to walk this walk of faith, Jesus gives us, save one, the choice to say, I will let go and I will follow you. My life will be about the Lord Jesus Christ rather than everything else that wants to take my attention from him. And in everything I do, I will do it to honor the Lord. The job I work, the bills I pay, the things I do will be about honoring the Lord in all I do. That's what it means. Let go of the world and live this life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray even today as you call for us to follow that we like 
Simon, Peter, and Andrew, like James and John, we would make a decision that says, I will follow you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I will cling to you for everything that I am worth. For you have bought me all of eternity. And I will trust in you. Father, by your spirit, move in this place in a mighty way. And as we close in a word of worship, Lord God, as we close and we come before you, I pray. If there's anybody here who has not ever made that commitment, that decision. As we sing a song about following the Lord, I would I would pray, Lord, that they would go and find someone, the prayer counselors around the room, and make that decision. Let go of the world and hold on to God. And Lord, we give you the thanks and the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close this song of worship. And again, I want to invite the prayer counselors to spread around the room. If God spoke to your heart or if you have prayer requests, something that you'd like to pray about, I want to encourage you to find them and pray with them. God bless you and go in peace.